Hello and welcome to the Dow of Wow, a podcast about the intersection of technology, society, and internet culture with a dash of philosophy and art for good measure. I'm Laura Hilliger. And I'm Doug Belshaw. This podcast season is currently partially unfunded, so you can support this podcast and other We Are Open projects and products at opencollective.com forward slash we are open. Now, today's guests are Paul Ashcroft and Garrick Jones from the Curious Advantage podcast. They're both co-founders of The Ludic Group, which is a highly successful business consultancy and have worked with companies such as Novartis and Coca-Cola. They're also the authors of several books, including The Curious Advantage and Digital Humans. So welcome to Paul and welcome to Garrick. Hi there, great to be here. So our first question to guests is always, what's your favourite book? We'll start with Paul. And my understanding is that you might have more than one. Yeah, when you say what's your favourite book, of course, I'm sure like many of your guests, pretty hard to give you one. So um, I, I would narrow down from three. Uh, uh, my, my daily reading is uh, Meditations, Marcus Aurelius, uh, perhaps for many people, but um, I just love that. Uh, small words of wisdom through the millennia. Um, Catch 22 would be my second choice by Joseph Heller. I think as I read it at school and I just loved it at school. Um and I've been reading it since. But the one I would uh, I would choose for today is probably Alexander Dumas, The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, and, and I think that is just because it is such a intricately uh, woven strategic plot of, well, basically revenge. Um, and it's a it's a wonderful book. And particularly in today's world of 280 character limits, as you get on Twitter and other platforms, um, in Dumas's time, of course, he was paid by the letter. So he just wrote as much as he could. So he ended up with a thousand page book that really probably could have got away with 250 pages. And when I was listening to one of your recent episodes of your podcast, you were talking about that and how that's almost coming back around. Now we've got things like ChatGPT that have tokens that you have to pay for. So back to the world where you're paying for for letters and words. Interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. It's why we have curious um spelling in english do you know that because printers were paid by the letter and so you've got silent p's and a c and a k and a couple of t's and an h thrown in um just to make things longer don't, don't say this because like obviously laura as an american like <laughs> british and american english but american english is more i don't simpler isn't it it's like yes, it's it has fewer letters and stuff yeah it's more efficient right. yeah color of course it should have an, a u in it Hmm. Why don't we put a PH in that as well? well um, <laughs> Garrick, what about you? What's your... What's your? Uh, thank you also for my three books. Um, I can't do just one. But the three I think I would take on my desert island would be, firstly, Six Memos for the Next Millennium by Italo Calvino, which is the most exquisite book. There are actually five, because um, he, he was asked to give a, a lecture at, at Harvard, and they found the five in his briefcase just after he died. But the... Um, the the five include things like um, uh, quickness, lightness, exactitude, and multiplicity. And each one of these is an essay, and it's multidisciplinary and, and written in the most beautiful way. Lightness, for example, begins with the weighing of the soul by the, the Egyptians, where they where they put the the feathers on one side and one's heart on the other to decide whether you could go forward into the afterlife. Um, I adore that book. Um, it's poetic in, in kinds of, and very human in very lots of ways that I, I really relate to. I, I think the second book is has got to be, it's such it's such a geeky book, Gödel Escherbach, 
by Douglas Hofstetter, which I was introduced to when I started coding as a as a kid at university. And it, Gödel is the is the mathematician who sort of invested and helped us understand about nested loops. And um, Escher, the incredible um, artist who drew metamorphosis and drew those pictures of hands drawing hands and things like that. And then um, and it's all about infinity and nested loops. And and then Bach and Bach's music and fugues, which are also um, nested in some ways. And uh, then it's also about Zeno's paradox, and it's this incredible, it's an incredible book. It's also metaphorical and artistic and scientific at the same time, and floats my boat. Um, <laughs> and and then the last one uh, is is more tragic. is is a book I was introduced to when I experienced some trauma, and it's uh, by, by Joan Didion, and it's called uh, The Year of Magical Thinking. And they call it one of the greatest secular um, non-religious texts because it's a book about, she wrote when um, she lost her husband and her daughter in the same year. And it's, it's just a profound kind of exposition of how the madness that in, inhabits the, the mind in grief and how she moves through it. And um, yet, you know, it's, it's cathartic in, in the most, um, the way that the best things are. Um, and those, those, I think, would be my best, my my three, my three books. Wow! So there's a, a real mix there. I remember trying to get into Gödel, Escher, and Bach. My first degree was in philosophy, and mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'll get into this, but it was a, it was a, it was a tough read. <laughs> <laughs> Dipping in an auto, I, gr- I grant you that. <laughs> well, dear listener, um, we will put these books as ever um, on our on our book club, um, which is at literal.club. Just follow the link. Um, alongside everything else of the show notes uh, later on. But let's let's dive into things. Laura, do you want to ask the, the first question? Yeah, because I added this uh, question right before we started, and I wanted to ask you too how you met, because it appears that you've been collaborating for a while. You've written a number of books together, and I was just wondering, how, how did your collaborative partnership begin? Over to you, Paul. I mean, we've got different. I was going to ask about. you if you wanted to take this story, Derek, and see if <laughs> see if they coincide at all. Our, our collective memories of this. You first. Our collective memory is very different. Uh, Garrick and I met twenty more in this lifetime. Uh, twenty uh, or more, I think, years ago. Uh, we uh, were working for a large consulting organisation at the time. Uh, we bumped into each other at a coffee shop. We went out for a Chinese meal, and um, yeah, the rest is the rest is history. Other than to say, we pretty much try to go out for a Chinese meal every single year. <laughs> I think um, it's not that far off. I mean, uh, I was I was doing particular kind of work um, with large scale collaboration. This is pre-internet, and Paul was doing similar work in um, the finance sector, and we were both quite young. And um, and he called me up, and uh, we we he just was very persistent, <laughs> and we and we did go out for a Chinese a Chinese meal eventually, and um, and then we got to work together in the same in the same area, and and when I left um, that business, uh, Paul asked me what I was going to do, and I said, well, I'll probably set up another business, just you know, as I've done in the past, and. And he said, well, if you give me six months, what I didn't know is he was going to marry his wife. He said, if you give me six months, um, I can come and work with you. And I said, well, that's great, but why don't you come and be my business partner? And that's how I remember it, completely unplanned. 
and um, yeah, coming up for twenty years, and it's been, um, as he says, it's been it's been fantastic, and I value it very much. Um, and it's been a great journey. Yeah. So for those of you, for those listeners who don't know the Luda Group, uh, we've said it's a, a business consultancy. Um, you've you know worked with big companies. Um, what kind of things do you tend to specialize in? Just to kind of frame. The discussion there, about there are three kind of areas. I mean, we like to do soup to nuts uh, <laughs> type work, but the thing that characterizes our work is we believe that it's impossible for external people to make any change at all within a system, especially when it's a people-based system and it's complex and connected to processes and knowledge and, and technology. We think that all change has to come from within. And so the only way that you can possibly bring change to bear in any system, whether it's a social system or an organizational system or governmental or national system, um, is, is through learning. And so what we do is we create opportunities using media uh, feedback loops, you know, all the good MIT Chris Ardras stuff, um, <laughs> online tools. Um, we have platforms and software. One of our businesses, software business, enables us to do this now, but it allows learning to take place. And we call it, you know, for example, um, we've we've had a lot of success with people saying, what is digital transformation and how do we enable that? And we usually say, well, there's enormous amounts of digital stuff going on in your business anyway. People are doing um, lots of experiments and people are online and people may, you may have, you've got deals with Google and all kinds of stuff going on. And so what we do is we then make that as visible as possible to the rest of the organization, call it standing on the shoulders of giants and allow the organization to learn about itself and then take the best of what's internally and spread it around and mix it up as much as possible. So we're using those kinds of um, models and mechanisms to, it's a kind of psychogeographic, um, highly complex adaptive systems approach, but it's using media or what we call collaborative based transformation and media based transformation methods to, um, to get things done. And as a result, we can, we can do quite big changes to very large systems globally. Um, and um, with quite a light touch, and and the internet really does help us do a lot of that these days. It's quite fun. And so, and so you know, you you published this book a, a couple of years ago, um, the Curious Advantage, and then you've got the podcast as well. How did curiosity bubble up? You, I mean, you must have seen that this was the um, the differentiating factor within organisations. Like, how did curiosity? Was it just one day you realised, like, oh, curiosity seems <laughs> to be the um, the thing which makes the difference here, like how did how did that come out? Yeah, I suppose yes and no. So uh, a name we should we should point at this point is Simon Brown, who currently he's our co-author on the Curious Advantage, and he is uh, currently Chief Learning Officer at Novartis. And we've been working with Simon for and as you mentioned, Novartis for many years, um, particularly around the learning space and helping them sort of use learning strategically to transform their business. And Simon does an amazing job at that. Um, and we were having a conversation with Simon about how he is going big on learning. And originally, we were going to write a book all about how they are going big on learning. But as we spoke more about it, and again, this thing was over a couple of glasses of wine and a meal, um, we discovered actually the real crux of it was about curiosity. And so in the end, the book became all about uh, curiosity and how you essentially can be uh, use curiosity uh, to be more successful. So using that as a lens seems to open up conversations for you, like conversations well, that wouldn't necessarily happen otherwise. Yeah, I mean, I, 
what, what Paul talks about the glasses of wine, <laughs> but there, there was also quite a lot of research that was going on. You know, we created, we did a multidisciplinary trawl through everything that was going on about learning and impacts on learning organization and so on. And one of the things that we discovered, you know, as Paul says, was, was curiosity was coming up time and time and time again, whether at the personal level or the social level or the organizational level. And so um, <laughs> we, we, put all of our research into these clusters um, and these clusters uh, five of them began with the letter C things like you know creativity and criticality and confidence and then we just we played a game and just thought it would come up with everything you know with the letter C and so we came up with things like context and um, creativity and um, so on, and, and and that led to a thing called the the, the Maha model, which is the seven C's of curiosity, and, and the seven C's, of course, then that's a great metaphor for sailing the seven C's and so on, and that's kind of what stuck. It was it, it really was our lockdown pandemic project, as we wrote this together and figured it out and discovered that curiosity was at the heart of so much of it, and it became curiosity. It's it's now become a movement and it's a thing, and everybody's talking about. It. There's lots of research going on in ways that weren't and. We don't claim to have been there first, but we really were part of the initial conversations about, okay, so what is this curiosity thing and how does it have an impact on our lives and how does it have an impact on the digital world that we inhabit? Very important. So some people, I mean, I wrote my thesis on digital literacy and one thing that people love to ask is, could you define this thing which is quite nebulous for me? Do you have a definition of curiosity or is it just the kind of thing where you know it when you see it? Well, there are formal definitions of curiosity, you know, psychological definitions of curiosity. Um, some are very classical and some are very open and some are very neuroscientific and so on. But we've come to our definition, which is that curiosity is an attitude of wonder uh, coupled with a spirit of exploration. And we really believe that more and more because Real curiosity is not only about wondering what's over the hill, but, you know, getting up and going and climbing the hill and looking over the hill to see what's there. And it's with everything, the learning of language to um, learning a new uh, uh, instrument or, uh, uh, you know, playing a scientific game, whatever. You've got to go and explore and, and explore the context and lay down new neuroscientific layers and, and connections in the brain to be curious Otherwise, you're just wandering about and staring into the ether, and it's a it's a mind game. It's not a real game. So, real curiosity we've discovered is, has got a very physical get up and go, and it, it, it's interesting because the the origins of the word curiosity, certainly in English, come you know right out of the ancient Greek and the Roman and so on. The ancient Greek word, you know, things like estrus, and the idea of curiosity being like a gadfly that. Um, <laughs> annoys the cow, so it's got to constantly flick its tail and move. Or um, curiosity being like the person, um, it's a sight, a secular thing, it keeps on coming round and round and round. Um, you, you work away at it. Or curiosity being um, like going in and changing things. So, so it really has those roots that it's a very physical and active thing, um, the idea of curiosity. Historically, of course, um, do you know where it first uh, first appeared, at least in the English language, to our knowledge, in Shakespeare? Where they, they talked about, you know, we talk about cu cu curiosity killed the cat. Yeah. And why do we say curiosity killed the cat? 
or it's not curiosity killed the cat in in uh, Shakespeare wrote the care care killed the cat and it sort of became <laughs> curiosity killed the cat and I think this was it there's at a time where um it was actually a bad thing to be curious we should we probably can remember we could be grateful that we live in a time pretty much in many parts of the world at least that it's okay to be curious it's okay to ask questions of each other of the society of our governments and so on but it hasn't always been that way not that um, long so we yeah. find that we find that quite 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 uh you know, we, we're lucky to live in a time where uh, we can be curious. That yeah. is interesting because the word innovation, I remember reading, came out of like a, a criticism, like, mm. oh, people are innovating with the scriptures um, yes, yeah. or, or whatever. Like innovation was seen as a bad thing and then all of a sudden becomes a good thing. And you're saying the same thing. I didn't know that happened with with curiosity. Interesting. Well, it's, it's you know, it's the old thing of, of, of um, who wants to control who in society and how do you achieve that in kind of you know totalitarian or fascist type situation where you don't want or even religious totalitarianism where you don't want people to be questioning or asking things so then these things become bad um mm. for the very reason why they're very good for us you know it keeps us open it keeps us distinct it keeps us individual it keeps us inquiring and it doesn't allow us to accept truth uh, and that is given to us on a plate it asks us to be um, inquisitive and to question everything um, in, in a way that, you know, leads us all forward in a, in a good way, um, not necessarily to the interests of just a few. Doug, this, I think when you ask, why did we become fascinated with curiosity? And I, I think part of that is that if you speak to people, many, many people will say either, yeah, I'm a really curious person, uh, and you ask them to articulate, well, you know, why are you actually good at being curious? Or they'll say, oh, I used to be curious when I was a kid, but I'm I'm not so curious anymore. Um, quite a few people fall into that camp too. The research says that our peak curiosity is around four years old. And after that, it pretty much uh, dwindles away for, lo- for lots of reasons we can get into, if you would like. We were fascinated with the idea of curiosity in a sense of how can you be more successfully curious? Is it something you can actually get better at? Can you work it like a muscle in the gym, get fitter, stronger, and use it in your life to be more effective? And we think through the research we found that you can. And this is what we wanted to explore, this idea that actually as as adults even, we can learn again to be curious and how to be successfully curious. So that's what we Mm -hmm. were researching, and that's really what we wanted to write about. It's fascinating how I think the curious and the innovative were relegated to the ninth level of hell, which is the worst hell in Dante's Inferno. And um, because they want to mess with the with the structures, so they they, um, they they want to keep things open. And it's one of the things I like about, and I'm attracted to the, the work that you do, and, and you're, you're, you're focused on openness. But the, the other great thing about curiosity is that it actually has physical impacts on us. So neuroscience keeps our neuroplasticity open. And the, the thing about it is, is we think there's um, research showing that it has an impact on Alzheimer's and also dementia. So curiosity as a practice um, is something that should be encouraged. At the same time, there's also um, social impacts. If you're curious and you ask curious questions, um, it leads to less uh, friction in, in an organizational system. People are more... more um, asking questions which which allow people to be more open and not necessarily being critical and the then the uh, the other thing is there's well-being there's a link paul likes to talk to us about the vagus nerve and our vagal 
vagus tone, which we have in the body from this incredible nerve that goes down our, our, our back. And the vagal tone is stimulated by curiosity specifically, which has then um, parasympathetic impacts on our body of wellness and strength and calmness and, and all kinds of other good stuff. So there's a, there's a case to be made for, for um, curiosity being something that makes us live longer and live better. I would like to now throw in the relationship between curiosity and frustration, um, <laughs> because as you're talking, and I, I was just sort of thinking about what's the difference between um, curiosity in the physical world versus curiosity in the digital world, if we're thinking about how businesses grow and change and can be more impactful, innovative, create synergies, whatever. Um, you know, how curiosity plays out in business versus real life. Blah, blah. And then um, you said that it, you know, impacts our health in a particular way. And I I'd love to explore a little bit what what is the relationship between curiosity and frustration and that sort of online, offline, the differences in types of curiosity depending on the context that you're that you're in. That wasn't really a question. It was more of a no, it's oh, great. I don't know where it's to go with question. this. I mean, I can well, answer some, some of that. Go yeah, go ahead, Garrett. I was going to say, the, 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 the thing that you stimulated about the frustration is frustration is often um, related to context we don't know or something's working out, the formal definition is around something's working out um, contrary to what our expectation is. And the thing about being curious is that it um, allows us to not answer those questions first. It allows us to go into a situation and ask questions and be open and have before we become frustrated. If you're becoming frustrated, it's probably worth stepping back and going, what is my expectation of this of this outcome that is not um, in line with what, and what's happening, which is not in line with what I'd like it to be? Curiosity really helps us navigate those kinds of difficult waters. Um, on the healthcare side, Paul? Yeah, I was going to add one thing into the frustration part. So... Um, approaching problems with an attitude of being curious about it uh, typically helps almost universally. Whether you are in a queue at a supermarket and you just choose to be curious about it, if you are having trouble learning something, uh, there's research that shows if you just approach that with a curious mind, you tell yourself, I'm curious about it, you will retain more information and you will learn better, faster. Um, but on the so it, it's generally good to approach things with a curious mind. Um, people can experience uh, frustration within themselves about their ability to be curious. So they get stuck, and they often will get stuck because they go into a topic and they've got information overload. They don't know where to how to filter. They don't know where to go next. They are they're running out of ideas. They don't know who to talk to to get further. They you know they want to learn a new skill. Who do I? Who do I work with? And these are some of the things that we we then address through the research. You know, who's the who's the community that helps you? Mm. How do you curate the information around you? How do you bring in different ideas to be more creative? So these are some of the elements that unlock some of the frustration. Um, specifically, one one idea um, that we came across uh, in the research from Jackie Brassi, who teaches at IE University, talks about how curiosity is an emotional emotion regulation technique. If you are curious, then um, you are better at regulating your emotions. Your heart rate tends to uh, 
decrease. You tend to be more confident in the way you go about things and you deal with stress better. So this is um, in in Jackie's research at IE, mm. which is fascinating as well. Um, essentially, you can hack your own biological system just by being curious. Mm. See, I find this really interesting from the technology perspective because we at We Are Open, we also work with a lot of organizations that are going through digital transformation um, that are, you know, we are very much, um, Garrick, as you were talking earlier about the types of consultancy that you do, we're, it sounds like we're very much aligned. Like we're mm. also like, it's not about the tech, it's about the people and the processes, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but the the curiosity thing is really interesting. Um, a lot of the charities that we've that we've worked with going through digital transformation, um, a a place where we often find conflict has to do with the up leveling of skills around a tech. Simply, so you know, we we work with global organizations that have a wide range of digital literacies from yeah. people who. Um, you know, have a six-year-old browser and are trying to use a modern-day web app and don't understand why uh, the web app just won't load for them, um, all the way to people who, you know, are literally programming AI, large language uh, learning sure. models, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and this curiosity piece with technology is so interesting because I can certainly see that people who tend to be more techie um, they, it seems like when it comes to technology, their curiosity um, and frustration can intertwine in a really interesting way. So like I know tons of de developers who will just go down a rabbit hole of frustration because they are curious as to why the thing they're trying to do doesn't work. Mm. And it's, it's both, it's, it's kind of both of these feelings mixed up. And I, I think that's, um, you know, if we're talking about how to how to help people be curious, there's something there around helping people yeah. um, find creativity in the process, or or actually push against their own boundaries of curiosity. That's a great insight. Uh, the the thing I think of is curiosity and learning about curiosity, or just the seven C's model, for example, which is um, it just it gives you tool. It gives you a toolkit. And gives you new language, if you like, to help you approach a situation. Um, we've done quite a lot of work um, with with senior leaders on um, how to ask curious questions and how to be a curious leader, um, because the whole context has changed. You talk about technology. We've got young people. Um, I hate to use the words millennials, but there we go. But we've got young people who live in a digital world, and they are digital natives another word i'm not keen on but there we go <laughs> and the I, and but people who are living in a matrix and who are living in a networked world unlike anything we grew up with and i certainly grew up with and yet they still need to keep it open and they still need tools to be able to discover not be frustrated and also learn things that are way beyond their comfort zones because the learning, best learning takes place, you know, where we slightly out of our comfort zone, and that needs to be normalized. And so curiosity gives us tools and toolkits and language for helping us do that, and certainly helping leaders work with this new, young, exciting, amazing, connected generation of young people, mm -hmm. um, encouraging them to be curious, encouraging them to ask things, and understanding that the way that we were taught to 
to run businesses, you know, with the pyramid structures and all that is completely gone. It's out of the window. What we have are multitudinous connections, clouds of people linked. Um, organizations are tribes. Organizations have people who are right there all the time and people who are peripherally there. And all of it is relevant and all of it works. And how do you enable this, this cloud to achieve things? Well, it, questions help. Uh, to question is the answer is how we finish the book. But curiosity gives you um, a, a, a one way in to enable people to um, ask questions in a way that enables the entire thing to achieve something together. Mm. It's so right now, as we're recording this episode, my son is sitting his one of his computer science GCSE papers. And one of the things that you said there, Garrick, reminded me about a conversation that I had with someone who used to be a developer on my team. And it's about the kind of mutability of everything. So developers and people who see the world through technical eyes, um, in a way that Steve Jobs summed up by saying, if you look at the world around you, everything was pretty much created by people no smarter than you. Things can be changed, whatever. And in programming, you can take something and change it into something else. And that's such an amazing, like curious mindset to, to have, to be able to literally change this thing into something else on a screen. It, it feels very powerful to be able to do that. And I feel that there's a, there's an amount of agency, we haven't used that word yet, but an amount of agency that people potentially need in their life to be able to, to be curious about stuff and not live within yeah. the strictures which they've had up until this point. And one of the things I've seen with people's reactions to AI and the, the binary between being a doomer about it and being really curious and experimenting with it comes through the amount of agency that you've had before experimenting with it and i wondered whether there was anything about agency or mutability that yeah. you wanted to talk about i mean I, i'm going to ask paul to answer some of the questions about ai because we've been doing a lot of work and speaking to some incredible people about that recently but um the thing about agency is is perfect and spot on and kind of beautiful as well because there is um, some wonderful research that has come out recently about teaching curiosity to children young people at school and teaching people to be curious um, has, has and giving them those tools is, is already starting to have a greater impact from kids who come from underprivileged backgrounds than kids who come from privileged or normalized backgrounds, if you like. And the reason for that is because it opens up context, opens up ability to learn language and gives them permission and agency to go into the world in a way that they may not have been socialized to do because of that background. So the idea that teaching young people curiosity can have a massive effect and uh, an inordinate effect on young people from underprivileged backgrounds to me uh, makes me very happy because I think um, it gives people agency, as you say. Now to, to take that further and say that that agency and the idea of permission and the idea of confidence is, is right at the heart of, of, of some of the AI responses, I think is fascinating too. The final C in our model is confidence. And that, you, you take the first steps and then you learn a bunch of stuff and then you take the next steps and you kind of overcome your flight or flight fright um, situation. The, the idea is confidence is built through experience and all of that plays into agency, which is a beautiful thing. What do you, what do you think, Paul, on the AI side? Okay, so, yeah, I, I can ask, ask a specific on the AI. I want to say something about Laura, Laura's question earlier about um, frustration as well with technology, which maybe gets into the AI thing as well. 
Um, for, me, for me, often that's about mismatch expectations. Isn't it curious that if you are an expert in technology, then it's the technology's fault when something goes wrong? Whereas if you don't consider yourself an expert in technology, you're quite happy to, to put the blame on yourself. The reason my phone doesn't work is because I've done something wrong. Uh, if my my son, I have a similar age son, Doug, uh, uh, can't do something on his computer, it's the flipping computer's fault. Absolutely. It must know what to do there. And I think that's a little bit about criticality. One of the, the C's about curiosity is being aware of your own biases and being able to, and this gets to the questioning, um, because we are quite happy to um, just accept what we already believed is the true and that's where our curiosity starts to fall away because we don't challenge perhaps what we think we already know but then to go on to the the ai side of this and it does link to criticality um the one part that we're really finding fascinating is at the heart of curiosity i think as garrick said is asking better questions okay so the better you ask uh, questions whether you're a leader whether you're a friend whether you're a, a partner in a relationship chances are the better outcome you're going to get back. Isn't that true from GPT and the other generative AI tools mm, that we're using at the moment? Yeah. And we're now training people to become prompt engineers. So the skills, the new skill, one of the new skills that we're learning around this stuff, is, as you guys will know, is about being a better prompter of the yeah, technology. Yeah, and I, I saw quite, it was quite a flippant comment, but someone was saying, guys, we're okay because... For people to replace agencies and freelancers with AI, clients need to know what they want in the first place and be able to ask the right questions. So there's no way we're going to be replaced. No, that's right. I saw a wonderful <laughs> thing about the designers who were all concerned about, um, you know, and the designer stood up and said, you have to remember every client we ever worked with never knows what they want. We have to guide them and ask questions and get them to a point. So the idea that, um, they're going to know how to ask the right question to get the right outcome they're looking for is ridiculous. <laughs> it's like designers are here to say, what's changing is, is the way things um, are just constructed. I don't think we've got anything to be afraid of. I'm a little bit of a conspiracy theorist when it comes to who's asking us to slow down the, um, the public um, <laughs> recognition of AI because that's been released into the public sphere. Well, most of those are governments, military, and um, oligarchs. So you have to ask, well, you know, what's that about? <laughs> is, is that because um, there's money to be made and they'd rather slow down the speed at which things are, be, are happening? Who knows? I, I, I just put that out there. But the I, I was concerned about, um, you know, uh, Jeff Ouellette, who left Google because he, uh, his biggest concern is what's happening in the military. And he's particularly offended by um, the idea that minefields can become living systems and self-healing. And the idea of self-healing minefields is offensive to him and everything that he means, it means to be human to him. And I applaud that kind of um, humanity. So let's, let's have a look at where it's applied and how it's applied and whether we need to put some brakes on around the policy about how these things are, are what it's allowed to learn. But I mean, having said that, you know, it, the the advent of white goods and um, washing machines and ovens and things changed the um, the lives of women a um, hundred years ago. What is the advent of of ChatGPT and other AI tools going to do for us in this in this uh, century? I think it's something similar. Well, if if the history 
I mean, I used to teach history. I'm a historian by by training as well. If it teaches us anything, is that it's going to um, entrench and reinforce people who have already got power and give them even more power. Um, unfortunately, that's always been in the way. And let's mm. hope it's going to be different. There we go. <laughs> There's so many more questions, which I, and I'm sure Laura would like to ask you, things about curiosity and creative play, leading a curious business, going into the seven seas, what mm. you're currently curious about. Maybe we'll finish on that. Like, I know you use that at the end of your podcast, so maybe <laughs> that's something to flip around to, to you two. So, um, uh, Carrick and then Paul, what are, you, what are you curious about at the moment? I'm currently I'm curious about, about a series of um recipe books that were published in Italy in 1978 on um, paper that is made from uh, recycled pulp and with cardboard and which um, had these amazing images on. And these are called the Imbocca series. So you, from every area, Liguria Imbocca and Romagna Imbocca and Emilia Imbocca and Napoli Imbocca. And the idea was, it means in, in the mouth. And each of these recipe books I've discovered um, are full of collages. It's unlike any other recipe book you've ever seen in your life. And um, yet they have verbatim recipes in the colloquial languages, which are hardly spoken anymore, and then in modern Italian, and then also in English. And they're hand-printed, and they're hell of a difficult to get hold of. And there are only 23 in the series. But my God, um, you can just cook incredible things from them because they've got all these ancient recipes in and it's very beautifully and you know told like i'll say fill a bowl of water with artichokes cook them in the usual way but then um, put the following um, sauce made from anchovies and butter on them you know it's, it's that kind of thing i'm absolutely astonished by them and, and super curious about the whole world that how these books can lead you into a world that you didn't know existed fantastic um paul what about you I think mine at the moment is a uh, health span is I guess in in a word we we uh ran around a, th- a recent think tank where we were looking at um longevity and how we are living longer lives um but sadly not necessarily healthier lives and so I'm really as a almost experiment on myself and have done for many years been fascinated about uh what can you do with your own body with your own well-being mental health to keep you personally healthy as long as possible so that's kind of my practice but also what i tend to read a lot about as well and try and instill in my children um as well so not the lifespan the health span of i think if you look after your health span and you avoid uh, fast moving vehicles approaching you in the wrong direction then you will be lucky enough hopefully to increase your lifespan uh too excellent okay well that's been fantastic. Really interesting. If people want to find out more about you both and about the book and the podcast, where should they, what should they type into their, their favorite browser, et cetera? Curiousadvantage.com will bring you to the website. And also the, there's a think tank also associated with that, which takes off on June the 20th with its online edition. Um, we try to bring together as many people as possible around um, curiosity uh, academics and practitioners and all kinds of things to keep the conversation moving forward and learn as much as we can um if you, so, if yeah. you want to hear about our we want to read about our work then you can find us at ludicgroup.com l-u-d-i-c ludicgroup.com wonderful well thank you very much and uh we hopefully will get you back on here again sometime soon cheers for now that'll be fun it's been a real thank pleasure you. thank you thanks so much yeah. thank you lara take care